Kia u ki tō kāwai tūpuna, kia mātauria ai i ahu mai koe i hea, e anga koe, kōhea. Trace out your ancestral stem so that it may be known where you come from and where you are heading. E nā iwi o te motu nau piki mai, nau kake mai ki tēnei o nā hōtaka te ahikā i runga i te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Ko Maraia Rakuraku ahau. I'm Maraia Rakuraku and this is Te Ahikā, the weekly fix of everything kaupapa Māori here on Radio New Zealand National. Joan Metch, anyone who's ever studied Māori or anthropology at a New Zealand university, well that's a name you would have come across at some stage. Mariana Pittman, anyone who's ever worked in violence prevention, women's refuge, manamotu hake and tino rangatiratanga, well, you would have encountered her at some stage. Well, today they collide, well, not really. Mitch built an academic career upon how to negotiate the differences that define Māori and Pākehā. Mariana reviews the latest book by Mitch, Tuamaka, The Challenge of Difference in Aotearoa, New Zealand. The challenges she puts down for Pākehā, it's as great as the gifts she gives them to negotiate their way through Māori. Mm, mm. You know, she, yeah, she she lays down those things really well, but she also lays them down really gently. You know, she's not a browbeater. She's not making herself as a Pākehā any, to look any better than other Pākehā. I think that she's actually quite remarkable, and I think for a Pākehā woman to have written consistently over the years about how to engage with Māori, um, what is important to Māori, how we how Pākehā might negotiate the, through their relationships with Māori, I think it's an incredibly brave thing to do, because it certainly doesn't bring you any accolades from your own people. We've got that coming up first. Often we can use modern thinking to reinvent or redetermine history. Often? Well, that's something Diane Lewy of Papawai Marae, Great Aunt Wairarapa, reckons has got to change. I don't understand that Māori felt privileged to go to the Great War, felt privileged to go to the Second World War. And a lot of the young ones don't understand that, you know. What do you mean they went and fought? for the queen and country type thing, or the king and country. Mm. And they really don't have that understanding of what these people, the tribulations, the trials they went through, and what an honour it was in their eyes for them to serve the queen. Diane Rewi talks me through a tour of Papawai Marae Greytown and its relevance in New Zealand's history books. Lisa Tomlinsay, now that's a name you'll be familiar with. She's sung with a virtual who's who of the New Zealand music scene. Well, now she's busting out and we should be getting that debut album anytime soon. She told me it took a semi-crisis to realise the time was now. I, I was faced with a decision earlier on this year where I had to go pole, pole dancing, dancing or music. So I chose music. No, I chose pole dancing. No, just kidding. Um... Was God, was pole dancing starting to take up that much of your life? Yeah, well, yeah, it was just starting to take a little bit too much responsibility for it. Um, and it was just, yeah, it, it was just a bit too much for me to handle that as well as, you know, and, and th- they were both suffering, so I had to go. Like, what's, what do I really want to do? You know? Music. Yeah, 
yeah. And since that, I made that decision, things have just gone way better. Stay locked in with me, Mariah Rakraku and Te Ahika. For the past 50 or so years, academic Dame Joan Mitch has commented frequently on the relationship between Māori and Pākehā, or what she sees as the space in between. Her latest book, Tuamaka, The Challenge of Difference in Aotearoa, New Zealand, available through Auckland University Press, takes its title from the flax rope used by Maui and his brothers when they sneered the sun in their efforts to slow down time. Miriana Pittman works in the field of violence prevention. The lawyer, writer, mother and nanny is also a prolific reader. Tuamaka, The Challenge of Difference in Aotearoa, New Zealand by Joan Mitch. Mediana Pittman, what did you think of it? Kia ora. Um, I thought it was a great book for Pākehā people and it was, uh, I think, seriously should be considered as um, um, compulsory reading for Pākehā in this country. Uh, it was written for them and by a Pākehā, so that makes it easy for them. I gave it to my neighbour and to another Pākehā woman to read and they got a lot out of it. They really appreciated. Both of them have read Mitch's former books, and they really appreciated the depth and the depth that she went into to explain about things Maori, tikanga Maori, and relationships especially. So there was the feedback from them. They really loved it. Um, I found it really great book, but not in respect of what it is that she was trying to say to. Pākehā people, but reading about her and her relationships with Māori and how she had navigated her way through those relationships and what she had learned from them, I thought was a great part of the book. But almost it was like a biography, an Mm. autobiography, and um, the way she wrote it was really good too. It was easy to read, uh, wasn't complex at all. You sort of read a little bit and then went back over in your mind to think about what she had said, which is always really good, reflective, you know, reading where it's reflective and you go back and you think about it and you have discussions with people. So I sat down and had quite good discussions with my Pākehā neighbour and the other Pākehā lady I gave it to to read about the book itself and it prompted a lot of discussion. But for them it took them to a, a bit deeper level in understanding Māori. She, um, the language she used is accessible, eh? Oh, really easy, very friendly, um, not complex at all. And she touches on some quite um, sensitive issues as well. And, but even the way she wrote her way through those uh, issues was really good. You know, I liked it when she, um, she spoke about being challenged in the work that she did because she was right at the forefront of yeah. Pākehā working with Māori, yeah. um, kind of uh, recording Māori, eh? and she mentions in the book about how she was challenged yeah. about doing that. Yeah. And what I liked is that she was really honest about it and she didn't yeah. seem to take the reaction that another scholar took, which was Michael King, when he almost completely turned... She didn't have to defend herself. Mm. 
She didn't go out of her way to defend herself. She basically said this is what she did. But I thought it's incredibly strong when a Pākehā does that. You know, when a Pākehā steps outside of um, that frame and starts to do things with Māori that uh, other Pākehā perceive as being um, threatening, really, she still carried on with it. And she developed those Māori relationships to the point where they were really supportive of her and they came to Tautoko here because, ironically enough, they could see the value in what she was doing. But I think that's so with a lot of Pākehā in this country is that often when their own start to do um, things with Māori or start to write about them, record them, film them, etc., they do get challenged by their own a lot. And um, that's that sublimial racism, I think, that exists. And, um, but, like, she didn't... She didn't go out of her way to defend what she was doing, which I thought was really good. She allowed Māori people to come in and support her. You know what I mean? Yeah, and she very much, it's that thing about knowing your place, eh? Yeah, and all the way through the book, she obviously does. I I really liked sort of like the humanness of her writing. You know, she... She was a she was an old lady, and here she was moving through Māoridom, um, taking all the crap from her own people, and sometimes taking it from Māori as well. But she still moved through it, and that that requires a lot of strength when you just keep going like that, yep. and you can see the value in what you're doing, although others can't. And she allowed people to come and help her. She went out of her way to make long trips to record people, spent a lot of her own time um, negotiating her way through those very difficult paths at times. But her enduring thing for me, for her, was the relationships that she had formed with people who were of a like mind to her, both Pākehā and Māori, and how they supported each other to get through it. Now, when I first started reading it, I started thinking, you know, she's making some quite, uh, what some Pākehā and Māori may think are quite bold statements. So she mentions one thing about, you know, it's one thing to put a Māori name on a building, but if you're not actually... Uh, respecting or adhering to tikana Māori within it, it's meaningless. Yeah, I think the challenges she puts down for Pākehā are as great as the, um, how do you say it? It's as great as the gifts she gives them to negotiate their way through Māori. Mm, mm. You know, she, yeah, she, she lays down those things really well. But she also lays them down really gently. She doesn't kind she of... She does. Like, she doesn't kind of hammer you over the head no. with it. And she's not a browbeater. And um, she's not making herself as a Pākehā any, to look any better than other Pākehā. I think that she's actually quite remarkable. And I think for a Pākehā woman to have written consistently over the years about how to engage with Māori, um, what is important to Māori, how we how Pākehā might negotiate the, through their relationships with Māori, I think it's an incredibly brave thing to do because it certainly doesn't bring you any accolades from your own people. No, and it doesn't make you friends either, Amy. No, that's right. But an incredibly easy book to read, and the messages were great. 
they were subtle, some of them, and she kind of dropped down from that superficial level into a much deeper level, I thought, than her previous books, like talking past each other. <coughs> she took it to another level <coughs> so that people could understand the nuances of being Māori. You know, what you see sometimes is just what happens on the top, but underneath there's a whole lot of stuff going on and she goes out of her way to explain a lot of that. Yeah, explain the whole thing around body yeah, language, eh? That's right, body mm. language, um, how you treat each, each other in terms of kai, you know, taking food and things like that. Now, do you think her scholarship, that there is anybody else in Aotearoa that that's able to comment so um, easily about that space between Mavi and Pākehā? I do know a few women, but they're not academics. They're not academics. I do, like people like Robert Considine, Linda Campbell, mm-hmm. um, who are both not uh, in that academic world. I think that they do or have done work in the past around treaty work and around decolonisation work and um, have found themselves in the middle brokering between Pākehā and Māori, especially around knowledge and um, how to place that knowledge so that people don't walk away from it but pick it up and take the challenge, but I think there are very few, but certainly I don't know another Pākehā who would, woman who would be like that, and can do that really easily, except maybe some of the people that have worked in in decolonisation work, but they've worked for many years and they really you know, those uh, they're there to teach for Pākehā, not for Māori so they've done the political analysis and realise that someone has to teach their own people. And I think she, you know, that's another thing about Joan that's really brave too. She has been on the walker by herself for a long time. Yeah. And, yeah, you can sense that in her book too. I mean, there's this feeling I got from the book was one, is that what an incredibly lonely thing to be doing. Mm. You know, there's not a lot of, apart from our own people, who supported her almost wholeheartedly, she doesn't really have that backing of Pākehātum. You know, she never really had that. And so I think that must be an incredibly lonely place at times to be. I know at times in my own life that there have been things that I've said and done that have put me on the outer of my own people. And um, I've found that incredibly hard and wanted to get back into the fold quite quickly. (laughs) But for her, there is no getting back into the fold. The other thing is that she makes it very human, the book, because she talks about her own life and her own people a little. You know, so people know where she's coming from and her travels and her batch, you know, the batch she used to go to and goes to for solace. So. I think it must have been an incredibly lonely journey at times for mm, you. Mm, yeah, that's true. Aye, but the book itself, great book, and I, you know, I brought it to work and it's slowly making its way around the twelve Parker workers that we've got here, and I'm kind of continue to ask them what they think about it, and as we're moving through, they're saying they understand a lot more. They ask a lot of questions. So, I mean, if you write a book that provokes, is provocative 
enough to ask questions and to imbue dialogue between people, then it's a good book. Ko whakapuna ki te maunga, ko wairo ho pupu ho nginingine matangi rau te awa, ko Ngāti Kuripakiaka te hapu, ko Ngāti Kahungunu te iwito, ko Tākitu me te waka. Ko mire ana Pittman tōku e ngoa. Kia ora. And a big kia ora to you, Mariana Pittman. We were talking about Tuamaka, The Challenge of Difference in Aotearoa New Zealand by Joan Mitch, published by Auckland University Press this year. That review joins our others at radionz.co.nz forward slash te Navigate yourself around our webpage. You can join our emailing list, te at radionz.co.nz. Give us some feedback. Check out our Facebook page and go to Te Wete Wete, our book review segment. There are a stack of reviews we've done over the past year. Next week, Ana Tapiata, you hear her on Herodo, our Māori language programme. She'll be reviewing From Haka to Hollywood, Timuera Morrison's biography. And the following week, it's Ruben Friend, curator of Māori and Pacific art at Wellington City Gallery. We're going to check out Julie Palmer Pingali's Māori art and design, weaving, painting, carving, and architecture. I'm Maraia Rakraku, and this is Te Ahika. Music-wise, there's heaps coming up. There are the Māori Music Awards coming up next month in Ngāti Kahunanu Land. See you there, eh? The annual New Zealand Music Awards are a few days before that. Ngātapa Black, Maitreya and this kōtero from Tūrangi, Ahorangi Winitana, are all in the finals for the award celebrating contemporary Māori music. Mention a place, area, synonymous with nation building, and most people will say Waitangi or Tūranga Waiwai. And yet, Papawai Marae in Greytown has certainly played a role in the formation and development of the first Māori parliament, Paremata, and the basis of Te Kotahitanga. Now, so much of our history can tend to be glossed over, or some may say glorified, and that's a position Diane Lewy takes in regards to matching contemporary thinking with historic reality, as you're about to hear. Kuaia hori kerei teiaro. Tetero. He koumatu mai ngaitahu, me ngati moi. And did he stay here? No, he didn't actually stay here, but he was very much associated with uh, Te Paramata Māori here. Him and uh, Te Kao used to, uh, when it, the folly were opened, they represented Kaitahu and brought a huge hunk of uh, greenstone to Papawai, which was said to hold the Māori of Papawai. But many Wadarapa Māori are related to Kaitahu. Uh, many of us fuck up to the South Island. How's that? Um, well, we have Naitahu down the bottom of our rohi, down the bottom of our motu, um, because they did come down the east coast before going to the South Island. So we have pockets of them all the way down. So many, many, many Wadarapa Māori fuck up to Kaitahu. Um, and we are closely linked with them, and that is why you have Te Waipunamu as one of the follies that was built for Te Paramata Māori. Ayatea, the front folly there, that was for Taranaki Māori, which we have a close association with as well, through, um, for, I don't know whether you know the story of when um, Kahununu left here, we put into exile into Nukutaurua, um, Mahia Peninsula, 
through musket wars, during the musket wars time when Te Ate and Ratitama, Waikato, Napui, they came here and invaded the area. And at the end of the day, Kahanunu left and returned to their relatives at Mahia. Um, through Nukupewa Pewa, one of our tribal leaders of the time, he was a great warrior. Um, he returned to regain the land. He would rather die on the land than let it go elsewhere, um, which he actually achieved by um, capturing the Tiatiawa's chief's wife and his stepdaughter. He then bargained with Tiatiawa for the return of the land, and that is our link to them. We have um, on our Whakapakuku out there, uh, which tells the story of um, South Wararapa Māori, we have two people who do not relate to Wararapa Māori amongst the figures. One belongs to Te Atiawa, and the other belongs to a Pākehā called Captain Main Smith, who was the first surveyor here. Uh, so Papawai is very much the story of South Wararapa Māori and Kotahitanga, uh, not just for it's not just about Matimoi, it's about all that it stood for during Te Paramata Māori times, the Kotahitanga that was um, cherished in many ways here. It, I mean, we had all the tribes from throughout the land coming here. And on that basis, um, the place became what could easily be said, the most important marae in New Zealand at the time. So what time are we talking? Uh, the first, the building was actually opened in 1896 for the first session of Te Paramata Māori here. Okay, so that's 56 years after the signing of the Treaty right. of Waitangi. That's right. Um, but Māori here had been a political for many, many decades prior to that. Um, we had the gentleman over here, our chief Wani Rangi Tkawal, who in 1876 sent a petition to Parliament on behalf of over what, about 240 Māori rangatera from Kahanunu, Ngatipuro, Rangafakata. Well, there was uh, Te Tour wanting the things that we are still wanting today. Um, Amongst those points that they raised were, number one, their allegiance to the Queen. They wanted it well known that they were Queenites of the time. They were very, very patriotic people here. Number two, um, they wanted equal representation in Parliament, for goodness sake, in 1876, when Pākehā Māori, the... I mean, there were just as many of both races in many, many areas and more Māori in some areas. And they wanted that equal representation. They wanted the electoral boundaries changed um, because, as it stood at the time, the colonial government had actually arranged so that the electoral boundaries, where there were more pockets of Māori, cut it in half so that you didn't get mm -hmm. those greater numbers within one rohi. But Māori wanted the rohis to reflect the tribal ones, and then they would have had more representation in Parliament. They also wanted um, acts which could be easily read by them. 
that was a fair um, for both parties. All these types of things that we're still asking for today, you know, legible stuff that they could actually relate to. They wanted, like at the time, the Native Land Court was here, and they wanted that to be um, on a par with the other courts within New Zealand. At the time, it wasn't. The judges didn't have the same mana as my, uh, the judges in the other courts. So have the allegiances with the government, I mean, has that ever caused ructions amongst people in this area? Well, well, it's interesting, you know, when young ones come back here and they, you know, we, the to do about the flag not long ago and which flag was going to represent Why did you have one of the flag hui here? Well, it wasn't a flag hui, but quite often people come here and they say, well, what flag did you guys fly? Well, the British one, actually. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Very much. <laughs> Extremely <laughs> patriotic. <laughs> oh, what do you mean? <laughs> and just as the young ones today, you know, these um, histories of our marae and that really need to be put out there because they don't understand that Māori felt privileged to go to the Great War, felt privileged to go to the Second World War, and a lot of the young ones don't understand that, you know. What do you mean they went and fought for the queen and country type thing or the king and country? Mm. And they really don't have that understanding of what these people, the tribulations, the trials they went through and what an honour it was in their eyes for them to serve the queen. I mean, when you think about it, uh, the queen and her family epitomises what Māori do. I mean, it's a long line of Fano, who have been queen, king, yeah, and a all long the rest line of, of it. King. You know, very much yeah. a Māori thing. Um, so there were all these likenesses that they saw. So I guess it wasn't that unusual for them to think, okay, yeah, we have, we do have allegiances to the queen. I mean, they wanted um, all that all those good things that the European settlers brought. They wanted all those things. They wanted their children to be well educated. They wanted the clothing. They wanted the kai. You know, they wanted all that stuff. Um, they didn't want the bad things necessarily, like the waipiro and all the rest of it. And they, you know, the illnesses and all that sort of thing. But it came with it. Um... I mean, if we could have said, we'll take all your good stuff and you can have all of our good stuff, we'd have a great country. Um, but it doesn't work that way. You've got to take the good with the bad. But these men were very conservative in many ways. Um, you know, they fought hard to um, try and retain land. I mean, when, when Pākehā first came here, in 1844, the first people arrived here, and Kim Manahira and Wikingi Jutapaki Rangi from here brought them across from Wellington with their sheep. Um, they leased the land, and that was a wonderful thing on both sides. Māori got what they wanted out of it, and Pākehā got the land to run their sheep and cattle on. And it worked fine, except when the government came here to try and get land, well, Māori were already enjoying the benefits of leasing. So what were they going to do? So they outlawed it. 
Leasing was no longer an option. And we'll take away the settlers. We won't give you that. Um, because Māori relied on the settlers not only for what they brought to the area, but for security against the invasion following the musket wars, which were only very recent and still in their memories. And also with all the uh, wars going around in like Taranaki and all the rest of it, they didn't want it here. And Pākehā settlers was sort of an assurance to them that maybe they could keep these sorts of warfare away from here. So they were loath to actually give them up. Um, and in the end, by outlawing the ability of Māori to lease, the government stepped right in and took the land and it was sold, you know. They couldn't sell it to any individual. It had to be sold to the government. They had no choices. Um, very limited choice. And within a very short period of time, the land was gone and only a small acreage remained. And that is why Papawai became this huge Māori settlement of the time. All the land around here was sold and people flocked here. Um, it became um, a church college was built here, um, St Thomas's College. At the time of the building, not many attended it because of all the, the ho-ho movement, kingitanga, all the unrest. Not many actually went to school. Uh, so that folded. But in due course it reopened and both Māori and Pākehā went to it. And it finally closed in the 1920s and by that stage it had become a public school. But we've got the college land over there which is called, which is part of the Papawai Kaikou Kirikiri land of today. 400 acres was given to the Anglican Church and that was for a church, for a technical school, for their kids, all those good things that they wanted. Unfortunately, a lot of it didn't come to be. The mill, like everyone was getting a mill in those days for grinding their wheat. All these things were really hard fought for. And it was many years after the contract with the government that they finally got them. Um, so... They're probably they're no different from anywhere else. But because this wonderful bit of land here was one of the few lands that remained in Māori hands, it became a large Māori settlement. And it wasn't just Ngāti Moi then anymore. There were others, Kahukura, Whitia. They all had links to Papawai. But if you had said to the chief of the time, who are you, where do you come from, he would have said Kahukura, Whitia. Just as Tamahou would have said, Hikawera, you know, and that's the way we all are. Yeah. Um, but we all have these other links to other areas, you know, another hapu. And this was no different. So you had the building of Kotahitanga with the Mwadarapa. And then other tribes, people from other tribes arrived here to help because all these wonderful things were happening here. Um, so we had... All sorts of people coming here. Hinari Parata, the MP, actually married Nahui Hemura. That was her second husband, and they lived here. To uh, Neil Neil, you know, I mean, all these people came to Papawai for a reason. The people, but all the things that were happening here, it was just magnificent. Um, 3,000 to 5,000 people lived here. I mean, you know, when Te Paramata Māori was held here, and the people came, they didn't come for a day. They came for, for weeks. weeks. 
So you had to feed them. Yeah. You had to house them. Mm. This was tent city many a time. Yeah. Princess Tapuya, my husband's gra- uh, grandmother, used to relay the story of Princess Tapuya's visit. And she said, the throngs that came down Papawai Road from the railway station, she said the place was thick. The road was thick with people. You couldn't see the surface oh. of the road. It was tent city again. Mm. Every piece of spare land had tents on it to house the people. At the time, Henari Tafaiti was the chairman here. Um, his dad was Eli Tafaiti from the Lower Valley, who had a huge farm in the Lower Valley with a Pākehā settler. Um, and he was an incredible man as well. But, you know, there were many incredible people. And anyone who was ever, everyone came here, and anyone who was anyone came here. This was the place you came if you wanted to talk to Māori. We've had the MPs, we've had all the Prime Ministers, we've had the Governor-Generals, you know, everything. They came here. This was the place. And it was in the time of Tamahu, Hoani, Manahira, you know, all these sorts of people that had happened. And, I mean, just to try and see it in your mind, you know, and you think, gosh, how wonderful would it have been, you know. And um, I know the old people say used to say, oh, look at us today. But that's true of all Mariah New Zealand. Um, you know, great things happened everywhere. And, you know, even Sir Aparana who came here with his throngs and did the haka in front of Hikarangi when it stood on the other beside the Palamata Māori and commented, the most important marae in the land. And it was, in its day. But even so, I mean, you know, every tribe in the land came here. Uh, we've had relationships with so many tribes in this year, you know, through what Papua I was. And, I mean, they're just thronged here. And, you know, I can go to other places and say Papua, and they'll say, oh, yeah, OK, te paramas Māori. And um, it would be nice to think Papua was known once again uh, because it's important in the history of New Zealand and in the history and development of Māori. Uh, great things came out of things here. The annual Māori music extravaganza, Pau Pau Pau, held at Pipitia Marae in May, was a feast of musicianship from around the Mutsu. And one wā making some noise was Lisa Tomlins. I'm at Pau 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 with the lovely Lisa Tomlins. Hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. Now, it's been you know, ages since our last interview. It has been ages, and what I want to ask Lisa is, how is the pole dancing going? Oh, I'll tell you what, I, I actually, I, I was faced with a decision earlier on this year where I had to go pole, pole dancing, dancing or music. So I chose music. No, I chose pole dancing. No, just kidding. Um... God, was pole dancing starting to take up that much of your life? Yeah, well, yeah, it was just starting to take a little bit too much responsibility for it, um, and it was just, yeah, it, it was just a bit too much for me to handle that as well as, you know, and, and th- they were both suffering, so I had to go. It's like, what's, what do I really want to do? Um, Music. Yeah, yeah, and since that, I made that decision, things have just gone way better. 
Because you've always been in the music scene. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, into music scene for a very long time. I have, I have. There's a lot of us that have been going for ages, and you know, some longer than me. But um, yeah, and then you just find that that some days, if you, because I like escaping into different worlds and having different things to do, because it just um, keeps the interest and and you know keeps the interest going for all things. But um, yeah, you just really need to sometimes pull back on all of that and just concentrate on the one thing. And, yeah, it's starting to work. Now tell me about the music. What's happening for you? Um, This year has been a really um, interesting one for me already, and it's not even halfway through yet. Uh, In the past, mm, I'm saying about three and a half months, I've actually gotten my act together. And um, it it was born of a... um, of a gig that was given to me that said, "Okay, we need uh, we need this. Um, can you provide it?" And I said, without really thinking about it, "Yes, sure, I can." Because you know, I'm just a girl who can't say no. Um, <laughs> so I I thought, "Oh heck, okay, I've got to do it now." Um, and that that kind of sparked everything uh, and since then it's just opened up a lot of my creative channels Yay! Um, and I'm really really excited about it now uh, like previously I thought oh, no I don't think I'm all that ready but um, now I feel like I am so by ready are we talking album ready we are see there's, there's an interesting um, there's an interesting uh, proposition that's been made um and I can't really divulge much more than that, but um, yeah, say I'm very keen on taking that up. Uh, and but but the goal for me this year is to create a single, maybe a video, but just just um, get working with the band. Um, yeah, but you know. The, the thing is with New Zealand music is in Wellington musicians especially uh, we, we all talk or each other yeah and, and it's so collaborative it's eh? so collaborative we, we, we end up um, playing in everybody's bands and, and everyone's busy everyone's really busy so um, I'm lucky over the years because I've been in this industry for a long time especially here in Wellington um, I know a lot of drummers, I know a lot of guitarists yep. and a lot of keyboardists, etc. Um, a lot of bass players and yada yada, so I, I don't... You have access to people? I have access to people. Mm. And and um, while I, I love the core group that, that's come together as a part of the past three and a half months, um, they I, I realise that they're busy and I, I can I don't feel because I've worked with so many people, I don't feel uncomfortable subbing people, you know, it's, um, or substituting, you know. Uh, so, yeah, and, and that, such is the nature of our, um, of, of our business. I know that I, too, have been uh, subjugated to, uh, uh, you know, to, um, to double bookings or clashes in, in my work routine, so I've had to had to um, sub out myself and I and I wouldn't want to have the core group that have been involved 
um, to feel obliged to yeah. stick around. You know, yeah. it's like I, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, because we're all trying to make a living. Yeah, that's mm. right. I'm still trying to find um, a, a suitable substitute for me if I can't do my own gigs. Uh, <laughs> like, you know, oh, I've got a few. I've got a few. But as long as they don't mind calling themselves Lisa Tomlin, it's, <laughs> it's, it's fine. Cool. Yeah, it's cool. And sing all my songs. Cheers. <laughs> now, you did a set just before. Tell me about some of the songs that you sang. Um, the, yeah, well, it's a, an interesting compilation, if you will, of um, stuff that I've written with other people and stuff that I've uh, developed in the past few months. Um, and and also a, a cover of a tune that was written by Mahinarangi Toka, who um, and I always said to Sadly her, like, died. I know, I, yeah. I was just, I, all, I just found her on Facebook uh. the, that week. Oh no! And I sent her a friend request, and, and the next day she was in hospital. Mm. You know, it's like, oh. Uh, but I, um, I sent a, a, a letter to her her daughter and there and have communicated so that's oh so sad it was really really heartbreaking and it's uh, heartbreaking for a, a lot of her close friends and um all, all the music community in general it's just i can't believe it really and you're reinterpreting one of her numbers yeah well it's the first tune of hers that i ever heard and um when i first heard her voice i thought who is this yeah. woman yeah and i was lucky enough to um many many years later work with her in a, a, a show called jerusalem Michael Parmenter um, dance opera and yeah and we we got pretty close during that time and she's a hard case woman and we'll always remember that time as being one of the, the yeah I'll always remember her then so yeah and it was, it was a shame that you know we kind of lost contact and stuff but thanks for the choice sounds Barry thank you <laughs> Now, one of the um, more recent outings I've seen you in has been Fly My Pretties. Fly My Pretties. Fly My Pretties. Oh, man, that was so much fun. And you know what? In the documentary, you look like you're having a fantastic oh, time. Everyone did. I was having did. a ball. Absolutely having a ball. I we love all the were... frock. Oh, yeah. Everyone's going on about that frock, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't even know where it is anymore. <laughs> that frock. Oh, yeah, I'd definitely give that a shot again. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was a, a really amazing experience, and I've always wanted to be involved ever since I heard about it, like back in the when it was at Bats, you know. So, oh, this sounds like fun. Oh, that, yeah. it'd be really nice. Ring me. Yeah, hello. My name's oh. Lisa Thomas. Ring me. <laughs> and then one day I got the call because you know about ten other people couldn't do it, so uh, you know they got me in. <laughs> yeah. So I'm really happy and to play with such an amazing cast. Some of my, um, some of my heroes, even you know, well, all of them are. They're cool. Inspirations to do something similar, Lisa. Wow. It looks like it takes heaps of organising. Oh man, no, no, <laughs> I'll leave that to Barnaby, man. <laughs> that guy is uh, like he he got everything together, and and the Loop Corporation, Mikey Tucker from Loop, those guys just made it all happen, and yeah, I I don't think I could ever organise anything of that magnitude and find it hard enough getting myself to places, let alone another 20 plus people. 
I, for one, I am absolutely stoked to know that you've got an album coming out. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Yay! I have to go into meetings with this, uh, with the interested parties and um, see exactly what's up. So, so exciting! Yeah. It's I know. So exciting. I just, I just can't believe it. They've, they've been really quite helpful, and oh, I can't You're wait. Amazing, till it's all You're amazing, though. You are amazing. Thank you. <laughs> The always humble Lisa Tomlins and nothing like a bit of Pink Floyd to liven up Te Ahikai. I recorded that cordero with Lisa at Pipitia Marae Wellington that again was a hive of activity last Thursday and Friday hosting the inaugural Māori Tertiary Education Hui where the big guns in the sector got together to talk about the past, present and future state of Māori Tertiary Education. Lofty stuff indeed. I'll report back on that next week. After this broadcast, our hikai can be downloaded at our website, radionz.co.nz forward slash teahika. That's T-E-A-H-I-K-A-A. Ko liyen tamaki nai nei me te whakamarama a te whakatauki nei. Kia au ki tō kāwai tipuna, kia mā tauria ai ahumai koe ihea. E koe kohea. Trace out your ancestral stem so that it may be known where you come from and where you are heading. Um, this is an interesting whakatauki in that it um, reaffirms a lot of what other whakatauki, similar whakatauki talk about, uh, which is basically you must know yourself before you can go ahead in life. And so it speaks to the importance of whakapapa, um, knowing your whakapapa, because from that uh, stems your knowledge of self, uh, knowledge of where you're from, knowledge of your skills and abilities, and uh, without this you can't move forward in life. and it just reaffirms the importance of whakapapa. Kia ora. Ko lia en tāmaki tōku ingoa, nō tamakai mōna me Ngāti Mane Apoto. Kia ora e hoa. Ko e tai anō mātou ki te mūtunga te ahikā, ka tuku mihi a hau ki nā kai kōrero i te wiki nei. He mihi atu anō ki taku nei kai whakahaere i nā tapu-tapu. Hoki mai hei tērā rā tapu whānau mā, mai te whānau a te ahikā ki a tātou katoa, Mauri ora.